Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Detect and Protect, the Australian Biosecurity Podcast. I'm your guest host, Casey Baines, and today we'll be diving right back into our very special series celebrating last year's 30th anniversary of the Biosecurity Detected Dog Program. The program plays a vital role in the interception of biosecurity risks in the airport, mail, and cargo environments. The Detected Dog's excellent agility and super noses makes them one of our most effective and lovable detection methods. To celebrate the milestone, we've reached out to some of the department's very first detected dog handlers to hear some stories during their time in the program. Our guest for today's podcast is Rachel Holdforth. The program started with two detected dog handlers, Rachel in Sydney and Harry Smithard, who we'll be hearing from in our next episode in Brisbane. Rachel talks us through the initial pairing of detected dogs with handlers, matching dog and handler personalities to form the best teams possible. Rachel also talks through her initial training and learning on the fly to effectively deploy detected dogs in the infancy of the program. Okay, enough from me. Let's jump into the interview. Um, what drew you into the role um, and how you joined the program? Um, I think it was in uh, 1991. There was an expression of interest that came out about, um, about a new program that was starting with the department, which was using dog detector dogs to find um, um, risk items at the airport and initially I dismissed it but then a couple of colleagues of mine said I should apply so I did and then I got that um, I was selected to do that training and that started in then 2000 no didn't in 1992 so there was th- initially three handlers that were selected one in Melbourne, one in Sydney, one in Brisbane for the, oh, okay. for the pilot program. I thought it was only you and Harry. There was someone down in Melbourne. Well, there was three, but one person didn't make it through the training. Oh, okay. And so it then just left um, Harry Smithard and myself, right. one in Brisbane, one in cool. Sydney. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that initially you didn't particularly think about applying. Was that just... It was uh, a change, or was there something? Oh uh, no, it was mainly just me, not my um. Not certain about it. Oh, I just probably didn't think I was <laughs> capable of doing it, or or eligible to do it, or. Oh, but how wonderful! Anyway. Everyone that I've talked to so far has said you've been. The whole program has been. Um, so, what do you think made being a handler so interesting? Um, well, for me, well, for working with the dog for a start is is great, and it it was very confidence boosting for me because I I wasn't um, very outgoing person, and then suddenly, I think at the time when I when I started the job, I didn't realise it was going to be so in in the public eye as it than it was, right. yeah. and. Um, so there was that aspect to it, but there was also the just uh, working with the dog. And for me, I particularly enjoy animal behaviour. So it was really interesting working with the dog and, and observing the behaviour and then learning more about animal and dog behaviour and people behaviour as well. <laughs> yeah, because I guess um, particularly here in Australia, we didn't have any like prior knowledge of how the public was going to react to a dog no, being there. And, no, yeah. And of course, at the airport, the dog worked. We worked around the carousel, so we were in amongst thousands of people every day. So it was a really good um, 
we had to make sure that the dog was safe at all times. And of course, many people loved the dog, but then of course there was other people that were frightened and there was other people where a dog is culturally um, frowned upon, they're unclean. So I, I learned a lot about other cultures and people's behaviour and dog behaviour. Very cool. Um, so I know you probably have lots of people ask you about your time and probably ask you this question a lot, but is there one specific story that you think back on as a handler that you have a go-to oh, when people ask Well, there's, there's lots because, you know, there's good, there's good fine stories and there's, you know, the, the um, never work with animals and children story, <laughs> stories <laughs> where sometimes things didn't quite go to plan. So, um, I don't know. Do you want to know one of those? I don't know which one yeah, you want to know. Maybe, maybe both. One interesting find okay, and so one story one, about difficulties one, maybe. Oh, gosh, there's so many interesting finds. I suppose one um, significant one was that once I was working her, um, working Melody around the carousel and she, she didn't respond with the classic sit response, which is what they were supposed to do, but she was particularly interested. She scented something and she was particularly interested in this bag. And I found six live penny turtles in a in someone's wow. luggage, which was there. They were um, moving from Hong Kong. And, of course, they're a common pet in Asia, these little tiny turtles. So she found these um, – she found these things in the bag. And so that was um, – great because we had done initially um we were we didn't do reptile training but as as it progressed we did get the opportunity to do some reptile training with snake skins and things and although it wasn't it wasn't a snake skin or a snake it was these little turtles and then and another one which is not a big find but you sometimes when you're working the dog you would they would catch scent of something and follow it and so you would go with them and she was very interested in this lady and so and sat next to this lady and she was the lady was standing there with a handbag she didn't have any luggage because she was waiting for her luggage but in her top pocket she had um an aloe vera leaf that she'd put in her top pocket that she was using on the plane to put on her skin and the dog had had smelt that and alerted me to the fact that this lady had something in her top pocket of her um, blouse. So that was a a really good find as well. Amazing how sensitive it doesn't have to be anything big or like a whole chunk of meat. Oh, no. And sometimes those things were more rewarding than finding the the usual apple in someone's bag because it was something that would have probably just walked on out the door without being yeah, detected, true. without the dog finding it. And um, and then the other, you know, beagles are particularly good at um, escaping. They're renowned for being yeah, a bit naughty. Like so it. even yeah. though people used to think the dogs were incredibly well behaved and easily trained, then actually not. And they do anything for a piece of food. So in the early days, I did a lot of public relations exercises. So one of those was to do a demonstration at a Probus Club um, meeting in Bondi Junction. So I had to go to a hall, and it was quite a quite. They they were quite involved. Those things where I'd have to take the dog, put the dog in a crate, take some bags up to the to the stage or wherever we were doing it, set it up, set up the um, set up a, an apple or something in the bag for the dog to find and things. 
and I had the dog in the crate in this back room when I and I was always acutely aware that this dog of course was you know there was only two in Australia and they were very valuable and worth thousands and and a lot of time and anyway I went back to the crate to get her and she'd gone and I Oh, I was in such a panic. And so I had to sort of think where, oh, my God, you know, where's she gone? I knew she hadn't gone downstairs. I thought, where would she be? Where would she be? And then the back of the room, it was like an auditorium. In the back of the auditorium was a big table with some morning tea set up. So I went and looked under the table. She was under the table, under the tablecloth. Fortunately, she wasn't on the table, but anyway, I found her. But, you know, there was things like that. And after that, I always clipped the cage because she'd learned how to, she just would flick the clip on the cage. She'd learned how to get out. So she was, yeah, she was pretty naughty that way. They were probably, they were probably the worst. (laughs) That was probably the worst (laughs) thing where I thought I'd lost her. I don't know how I would have explained that one. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you mentioned your dog um, was Melody and that she was a beagle. Yes. Um, was she the only dog you worked with? Um, and uh, sure, did she have any quirks or anything about her that you particularly liked? Uh, she she wasn't the only dog I worked with. I also I worked with another dog called Gus, uh, who was had been assigned to another handler and it hadn't really worked out. And so right, yeah. I took him on for a time and I worked both dogs. And... Um, of course, they were very different. And Melody was always, um, she was all, when when we got our dogs, we were kind of matched with the right, with yeah. our dogs. So the um, Colvin who came from America, he sort of matched us with our personalities with the dogs. So right, yeah. Melody was fairly, um, she was fairly quiet and fairly, determined with what she was doing she didn't get overly yeah. excited she used to just go around sometimes you'd have to sort of like hurry her along because she she was you know she liked taking her time yeah so she's probably a bit like me whereas Harold's dog um Winston he was he was just out he was just a go-getter he was out there and he yeah, was yeah. strutting around trying to find something and then the <laughs> other little dog I got was Gus and he was like a um beagle cross and he was very different. He was he was just busting to please. He just couldn't he couldn't do enough for oh, you, you right, know, to yeah. um, try and get a reward or to find something. So he yes, he was very different, and so it was good to right. have that experience with working um, two different dogs. Yeah, cool. Um, so so when you think about your time and obviously recently the department's just done an external recruitment round for handlers um, for your first time in a very long time, um, can you think of um, some attributes or um, something that really makes a good detection dog handler? Uh, well, you have to be able to um, understand, um, I, I guess you have to really observe dog behaviour and be observing your yeah. dog because whatever you do really the dog is focused on even though the dog's working they're really focused on what you're doing so what you you can do can sometimes um cue the dog to behave a certain way so uh, you really have to have an understanding of dog behavior and also i guess in the biosecurity space you'd have to have an idea of biosecurity and i think um 
I don't know, really problem solving because the whole time you're problem solving. Like, why is the dog doing this? Why is it suddenly today started to do that? So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting because, um, well, the way I see it, the dogs are innately curious and to be part of that team as a handler and dog, you have to be innately curious as well to try and Mm. figure out what they're sent set they're trying to find and yes and you have to be committed of course you can't just not want to do a good job like just uh, uh, I don't feel like doing it today (laughs) you you just don't have you know the you have a dog so you have to be there every day and you have to be very consistent Mm -hmm. with the way you go about your work yeah true um and when you talk about consistency can you run us through what your day looked like from starting to finishing as a handler? Oh, yes. Well, initially, um, initially, um, when I first had Melody and we moved to Sydney, it was very difficult with kenneling. We didn't have kennel facilities. So initially, um, she stayed at the customs kennels um, and they, uh, um, so Border Force, and they were, they were great, the handlers, because I used to have to go there. It was a secure compound. It was kind of an uh, underground yeah. kennel for noise because it was in a residential uh, area yeah, or semi-residential re- area. And so I I was uh, given permission to go in there to get her. So I used to have to go there in the morning and pick her up. They had a kennel hand that cleaned out the kennels. But later on, we had other kennel facilities where I would clean out. You'd have to right, clean out okay. the kennels before you left in the mm. morning. And then I would take her into the airport and uh, we would just work. And the idea was that you would work flights as they came in, the whole flight, try and catch uh, capture as many passengers as yeah, you could. Yeah. And we would sometimes capture, uh, do the high-risk flights and sometimes flights that were perhaps not deemed to be high-risk just to see if we could find anything. And then I would take her, sometimes she would have a little break because you can't work them, you know, eight and a half hours in a day. And and there was um, an area outside of the airport. I could take her down across the tarmac and there was a little area where she could go out to the toilet and have a toilet break and things like that. And then I would take her back to the kennel at night. And then sometimes on the weekend I would, or on my RDOs, because um, rather than have her in the kennel for four days straight or something, I would take her and down the road from where she was kenneled with with the Australian Border Force, there was there's like a dog beach where you can take the dog oh, cool. for a walk on the beach. So I used to take her for a walk because it's good to take them out so they're not working all the time, keeps them interested and yeah. keeps them fresh. And um, was, was that like a, a standard practice or was that just something that you enjoyed? Oh, it was, encour- it was encouraged. Yeah. Our trainer encouraged that, you know, you shouldn't, the dog is not it's not a robot so you have yeah, to allow sure. it to be a dog so that was something that I did occasionally just to take her out to so she was she was had an outing out outside of work oh, very cool mm. um and obviously you're still with the department um when you think yeah. back as your know, time as a handler um do you think it prepared yourself well for your progression through the department and is there anything in particular that you think has come because you were a handler? Um, I'd say 
resilience. Because <laughs> I probably would have still liked to be a handler, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah. So I would say that you just sometimes things don't work out how you'd like and you just have to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and move on. And um, uh, it's certainly problem-solving skills. Yeah, and sure. um, and I guess really these days, you know, I, I focus not on, well, I still use animal behaviour skills at home, but uh, people skills, I, I have learned a lot. I learned a lot sure, during that yeah. period because I became a team leader whilst I was a dog handler. So right. that was... Um, a long time ago, but that I learned a lot by becoming a team leader in that role, and then I continued yeah, along sure. the way. Um, you mentioned you really enjoy understanding animal behaviours. Um, did mm. you ever get a detected dog rehomed to you? And if not, do you have pets yourself that you keep? No. No, Melody didn't. Um, she was never rehoused. She stayed at the kennel. And I think because she was the first detector dog. And right, okay. um, uh, at the time when she when she retired, um, uh, she stayed at the kennel and there was another little dog, Jess, who also was retiring, I think at the same oh, I don't know if it was the same time, but she was she was also at the kennel and Dee used to work Jess and they used to they just hung out together to, for the rest of their days at the kennel. Cute little couple. I like it. Um, yeah. So um, they were most of the questions that I had. Um, mm-hmm. Before I get to my last few, though, is there anything in particular that you wanted to to point out or reflect on for the 30th anniversary? Because it's a big milestone. Yeah, uh, yeah it is. Um no, not really. Only that um, it's great that the program has gone on for 30 years. I had no doubt that it would continue because it was always successful, not only because the dogs were very successful in finding um, goods, um, prohibited yeah. goods, but also because they are, uh, they raised so much attention to the to, um what well, was quarantine then, but to you know, yeah. biosecurity um, awareness, and um, that yeah, I believe was very successful. Very much so, yeah. Um, and you mentioned you did some uh, public relations appearances, things like that. Do you have um, one really special event or one person that yeah. you got to meet because you're a handler or anything like that that you can think of? Oh yeah, I did. I did lots. I did lots of. Um, television shows I went on like you know um, morning TV I met Kerry yeah, Ann cool. Kennelly on morning no. TV <laughs> I went on the Sean Sheep show and talked to a puppet oh, yeah. for, for half an hour <laughs> and Melody was very interested in the puppet's eye I had to keep stopping it from chewing the puppet and of course around the carousel you sometimes meet people um, yeah Yes, and I also, you know, in the early stages I uh, with the program, I met um, Alan Griffiths, who was the Minister for Agriculture oh, yeah. at that time, and he came out to the airport and um, watched Melody work and 
um, talk to me about the program. So that was very, that was exciting too. Oh yeah, it's such a high profile role and um, it's always got the benefit of being the public facing. That's what people see when they come in um, at the airports, mm. um, the seaports and such a cute and welcoming. I guess that's probably something as well, right? Because you had a dog, did you find travellers were more open to you or were drawn to you? Uh, some were, some weren't. Some didn't yeah. like dogs. Some were okay. yeah. offended that the dog had alerted to their back. So it, it took, um, and that's where the people part of it comes into it. It took um, a while to um, just to work out the best way to manage certain circumstances. And, of course, they often, after a little while, it became routine that um, certain people behaved in certain ways. And then I was able to adjust the way I behaved or spoke to them. So to yeah. get the best out of people or to get the information I needed and then move on to the next person. Sometimes it was like being the Pied Piper. Sometimes you'd end up with half a dozen children running around behind you, around the carousel, and I feel like thinking, where are your parents? Could you go back to your parents? Because it's hard. I had once this child just latched onto the dog. I couldn't get him off. He was holding onto her ears and cuddling her and things. So I, you know, so there was all sorts of situations like that where we we had to try and... um, I don't know, yes. I wasn't just dealing with the dog. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit difficult because after whatever, a 12-hour, 15-hour flight, parents probably just say, go look at that yes, dog. Yes, go have a run around. Um, <laughs> and yes. Melody's a working dog and yes. she's there to work. So. Yeah. yeah, she was good though because she, she was so focused on what she was doing. Really, she she was oblivious that, that, people were, that these children were running behind her. She was just wanting yeah. to do her thing. So, but it, I was trying to just keep her uh, well and also protecting them because there was because there was so much activity and they're so tiny you had to watch that they didn't get the oh, tail yeah, run sure. over or trodden on or um, a bag dropped on them or something like that so there was a lot of other, other there's a lot of things you had yeah. to it was I, I was thinking about it and I was thinking it was kind of like learning to drive uh, it was like um or learning to drive a manual car, where you have to know all that you have to know all the road rules and how, what gear to use and where the brake was and everything. So it's like I, I, I can only liken it to that, where there was just so many other things other than just finding an apple yeah, in a bag or making sure the dog finds. There were so many other things you had to focus on. So um, yeah, it was exciting though, very exciting. Yeah, very cool. Um, Okay, I'm very conscious that you're very busy, so I'll finish with one last question on do you have um, any advice for someone who might want to be a detective dog handler in the future? Um, only that don't don't um, don't think that it's just their perception is that that dog handlers just walk around holding the lead. <laughs> it's it's not like that at all. It's it's hard work it's in, but it's enjoyable so if you put the work in and um the training in because the dog although the dog's trained it's not it's an ongoing process you're always doing training and so if you put in the hard work and the training and um then you'll get results but it's not it's not the dog doesn't do the work you do 
Yeah, for sure. And it's always an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process. And every day is different. Like one day the dog will be behaving perfectly and the next day it's doing something that you think, why are you doing that? I don't understand what you're doing. And then you have to try and work it out. And and, um, uh, in the early days there was just Harold and myself. So sometimes we'd have to get on the phone and try and nut out what was going on. And... um, Yes, you have to put in the hard work. Yeah, and you definitely did to start us off. I'm, I know now that we have so many more um, handlers, there's a bit more of a network and if something doesn't go right, you have lots of people you can turn to, but it must have been tricky yeah. for, for you and Harry trying to figure that out. Just yes, it was initially, before. especially when our trainer went. But, of course, mm-hmm. um, we had uh, Bob Sterling, who was always, he was our manager and he was always, um, oh, he just, he just lived for the job. He was yeah. great. I could ring him any time of the day or night and he would answer and you try and, and, and of course, things didn't often go smoothly. So he was always there to back you up or patch things up or help you out or what, as best he could. So that was good. But yeah. I also had, you know, experience because it was early when the program started to extend, we, we had to do, um, we had to source new dogs, and so I did right, quite yeah. a lot of that with Bob, and um, um, and then of course the active program started. That's I was still a dog handler then, so I had a initial right. um, interaction with that process as well. So yeah, it was quite exciting, really. Can you um, just for the recording really outline what the active program was, and were you part of the team that selected the active dogs? I no, I didn't select active dogs. I was only involved in the beagles, but I did have. I was involved in the initial active process only because I worked with some of those handlers that were active dog handlers, right, and yeah. they didn't use beagles. They were using other dogs, so they were using. Um, they had like a, a spaniel cross and some right. um, labradors and things like that, and they were used because they are bigger, a bigger dog, and they have to work on a conveyor belt in or in a. Yeah. It's in a much. It's like at the male centres, so right. it was a very different environment, and. Um, and, and of course, they did an active, whereas the beagles were a passive response. So they were trying to sit at the at when they found something. The active dogs were based; their reward was play, not food. So they, yeah. their active dogs had um, dummies that they would play tug of war and reward the dogs that way. Yeah. So yes, I had initially, initial that was starting, but I, then I went. I was having my second baby, so I left then to go and have my second baby and then that was it after that and and from what you saw um obviously there are different benefits to play and to food um was the active response program more that you could find dogs that that suited versus the beagles were particularly food driven um Maybe I did. Yes, I don't know. Sure. I'd say yeah. it was probably the same. I mean, uh, we did find a lot of beagles, but sometimes they weren't um, necessarily suitable. But we did find some, and of course, people yeah. would get beagles thinking they were cute and well behaved. And of course, by the time they'd wrecked their back garden, they didn't want them anymore. So there was often beagles available to right. trial, and. Um, but I didn't. I didn't go out looking at the active dogs. Yeah. That what that wasn't part of my role. I only did the 
pig, uh, sourcing pig? Or... Uh, well, um, I think that's everything that I had. Um, okay. A huge thank you again for taking some time out of your day. Um, okay. We've got um, some 30th anniversary merch um, that's due to come soon, so I'll be sending you a show bag as a little thank you. Um, okay. Thanks okay. so much for taking some time. All right. Day, well, thanks for talking to me. Okay. Please. See you then. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Detect and Protect. You can find out more information on the department's website or by visiting biosecurity.gov.au. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast series to get updates on future topics and learn more about Australian biosecurity. Also, be sure to follow us on our social media pages. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll catch you on the next episode of Detect and Protect.